we've been sharing about um, how to read the Old Testament or the Old Covenant in such a way that um, it doesn't cause us to stumble over the, the language of the Old Covenant because the Old Covenant or the law has been totally, completely fulfilled in Jesus himself. And it's the key, uh, I like to call it the Rosetta Stone of the Scripture. It unlocks what the Scripture is really saying. And Paul said that we know whatever the law says, it says it only to those who are under the law. That statement is powerful. Whatever the law says, it says it only to those who are under the law. And then he says very boldly in many places, and you are not under the law, but under grace. So, reading the scripture to see Christ in the scripture, mainly the Old Testament, is key because it will cause you to, to be confused if you, if you don't make that change in your mind and your heart. And there's a verse I think that's really powerful. Let's look at the Corinthians. I think it's 2 Corinthians. I've got to start bringing my New American Standard. This is the New King James Version. My favorite translation, I think I've already said this, but my favorite translation, the same one that Clark uses, is the New, the new American Standard. The new, the new American Standard Version, because it is the closest Bible to a, a, an exact translation um, with no... In, uh, embellishment or theology involved in the translation. Um, be, be careful of the New International Version. The New International Version, the NIV, uh, in some places, especially in Romans chapter 7, um, the word in the Greek is flesh, and the, new, the NIV translates flesh as your old sinful nature, which is, that's theology getting in there, and that's not what the Greek says. It says flesh. Um, and you don't have an old sinful nature if you're in Christ. You have a new nature. We've been made a partaker of the divine nature. We don't have two natures. We have one nature. And we do have the flesh. But the flesh is not the old sinful nature. So it's really important to be aware that the NIV, I don't recommend the NIV at all. It's, it's pushed by book publishers. And, you know, a lot of people push it. But the New American Standard, I think, is the best. Because it is an exact, it's a translation. It's the closest translation to the actual Greek. Um, so I just throw that out. But anyway, I, I need to get, bring my New American Standard because I'm reading from the New, New King James here, and I know that Kenny mentioned that it's, it's not exactly what the New American Standard says sometimes. And the New King James is not that bad, but the NIV, I just don't recommend that at all. Okay, let's see, 2 Corinthians. I think it's 2 Corinthians. Yeah, here we go, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter three. This is also good. Let's back up to Gosh, it's so good. Let's verse one. I keep going back. Oh, that's oh that's good. That's good. Okay, before we get into this, let's let's pray, guys. Lord, we thank you so much that. You have opened our eyes by the Spirit to see Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the vision of Christ. 
like the song, Be Thou My Vision. Lord, you are our vision. Thank you that in thy light we shall see light, the scripture says. And you are the light of the world. We sat in darkness and you brought us light. Thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for union with you. Thank you that you are our life. Thank you that it's all Christ in us. That all things are from you and through you and to you. Thank you for the rest of being in union with perfect righteousness. Thank you that as you are, so are we. You our head, we your body. You the true vine, we the branches. You our husband, we your bride. Great is this mystery, but one with you because of your work. Thank you, Lord, for this awesome grace, this abundant grace, and this gift of righteousness. Thank you for my brothers and my sisters. Thank you, Lord, that we're family and that we're all holy and we're all blameless and we're all in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's go chapter 3, verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Paul is speaking to the Corinthians because the Judaizers would come to the Corinthians with letters from Jerusalem and say, you know, listen to us, don't listen to Paul because we're from Jerusalem that kind of thing. Paul says, I don't need a commendation from Jerusalem. Look what he says here. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. In other words, what's in our heart is being manifested in you. You are our epistle that's written in our hearts. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us. In other words, as he spoke the revelation of Christ, what was in him was going inside of them. They became the letter of recommendation. Awesome. Written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on the tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. He's talking about the the living heart when he says flesh there. And when he says stone, you can see his mind is starting to move toward the Ten Commandments, and he's about to start talking about that in a minute. So cool. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. I love that phrase. We have trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The reference to letter there, of course, is the law. Don't you love that where he says, it's not that we're sufficient of ourselves, for Christ himself, God himself, is our sufficiency. I love that. Never think that you're not able to preach the new covenant or teach the new covenant because God has made us able ministers of grace. It's simple yet profound, and we can simply speak it and watch God work. We can simply 
tell people that it's not about you doing, it's about what he did. Believe only, believe only on the Christ and you shall receive the gift of righteousness and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome. Okay. Verse 7. But if the ministry of death, I love, now he he calls the old covenant the ministry of death. He calls the law the ministry of death. If the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, there's the Ten Commandments, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which, was, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation, there's a second term he uses for the, the law or the old covenant, the ministry of condemnation. Now the word ministry just means to serve. So the law serves you condemnation. That's wonderful. That's what we need, right? (laughs) Condemnation is the root of the power of sin. It's one of the the parts, it's how the mystery of iniquity works in the flesh. And that's why it's so important to get free from condemnation, even when you sin, especially when you sin. Especially when you sin, especially when we sin and we fall, the accuser will come and beat you up because you feel like you failed. I'll never be what I want to be or what I should be. And that's the very time when you have to stand strong in what God has said and who you are in Him. And that's what the enemy cannot fight. They overcame because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Now, now that word of the, te- let me just say this, the word of the testimony in that phrase is not saying the word of their testimony like, you know, God got me a job and, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's good. God answered my prayer and He healed my my mother. That's great. That's not what that's saying in that verse, though. The testimony that he, that verse is referring to is a reference to Paul's, in his letter to Timothy, he says, the, the Timothy, be bold with the, in the testimony of the Lord, born at the proper time, manifested at the proper time, the testimony of the Lord. What's the testimony of the Lord? That he is the son of the living God, that he did die and took with him all flesh, that God judged all the world in his death, that he was raised from the dead, and a new creation was born in him. And so, and he ascended and sits at the right hand of God, having all authority in heaven and on earth. That's the testimony of the Lord. Well, how can I say that's my testimony? Because as he was crucified, I was crucified. I was buried as he was buried. I was raised when he was raised. I ascended when he ascended. I sit with him as he sits. See what I'm saying? That's how we overcome. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony because his testimony has become your testimony. Isn't that awesome? You actually have passed through death as he passed through death. You have actually been raised as he was raised. You have actually ascended. That's why Ephesians says that we might together ascend with him. Together, together, together. So, that we, so we can rest in a finished work knowing that as he is, so are we. And that is what the enemy cannot stop. Because the work is finished. He's sat down. It's over. No one can go back in history and change and undo what the Son of God has done. Isn't that awesome? So, never be discouraged 
The scripture says a righteous man falls seven times and yet the Lord, the right hand of the Lord will raise him up again. The right hand of the Lord is, is a reference to the Christ. The Christ, the revelation of grace. Seven times. And seven doesn't mean that after seven there's no more grace. <laughs> seven is a reference to a continual, a, a perfect, you could fall every day, every moment, and the Christ is sufficient. See, that's why Peter says, how often should I forgive my brother? He's, he's really bothering me. He's bugging me. I, I saw this on TV the other day. Um, they're teaching these little kids how to resolve conflict, and it's, it's called a bug and a wish. A bug and a wish, a bug and a wish. And I said, what is that? And what it is, you tell the little kids, well, if, you, if, something, if someone else is bugging you, you tell them, hey, this bugs me. I wish you would do this. Hey, it bugs me that you drop your books on me all the time. I wish you would not drop your books on me. You know, something like that. A bug and a wish. Oh, that was pretty cool. So, if it, so Peter's going, this brother's bugging me. How many times do I have to forgive him? And the Lord said, and, and Peter says, seven times? And he goes, seven times 70, Peter. And again, it doesn't mean that after 490 times, grace is over. <laughs> it's a reference to continually, all the time. And the reason why it's so cool, if, if we got this one point right here, I'm about to say something that if we really got this, it, it would change our lives. Really got this, what I'm about to say. The scripture says, Paul said, that if you're not under law, sin is not even imputed to you. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now think about that. You can fail every second, every moment, every day. And of course, we know that's not going to happen because the life of Christ in us, you know, life will find a way. Life's going to bear fruit. Life's going to work in us. God is at work in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So you know what I'm saying. I'm not saying life. You can't stop God's life if we're at rest. See, it's only when we try to strive to be Christ or do Christ, when only Christ can do Christ, do we energize the power of sin in the flesh and we find ourselves failing. But the point I'm trying to make is you could fail every second of every day and in your mind you think, oh gosh, God is counting this against me. The truth is, if you could see, if we could see as God sees, after 10 years of, of sinning and you're thinking you're just, some, just a worm and God says, none of that, none of that was even counted against you. Zero. That's powerful. It doesn't lead to more sin. It leads to a freedom in the Spirit. It leads to a boldness with God. It leads to rest. It's the dynamic of heaven, and it's what religion does not get. Pharisees didn't get it. Religion doesn't get it. The world doesn't get it. The whole world is working off of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and accountability and looking at your nakedness and all of that from the garden. And that's why God says, who told you you were naked? That's not my way. My way is not to show your nakedness. My, my way is not to shame you. My way is not to reveal your nakedness. That's not my way. My, my way is life, union with me, resting in who I am, in you. Isn't that cool? Anyway, that's such a powerful truth. If we could ever, next time you sin, next time you, you and I stumble and, and, you know, just think about that. Just, just meditate on the fact that, thank God that this is not even being counted against me because of the death of the Son of God. Isn't that awesome? 
And that gives glory to God. That, that causes you to go boldly to a throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need. And it makes you just oh, settle. You, it causes you to be, appreciate grace all the more. And then there's a mystery that happens on the inside of us. Life, life begins to be manifested in ways we never dreamed possible. There's the love is shed abroad in the heart. All kind of things happen that we don't even know that's going on because this is God's way. It's a mystery. So no flesh can glory in his presence. No flesh can take credit for their walk of righteousness in, in this body because it's Christ. It's not I, but Christ. Isn't it cool? God is so good. Okay. Where were we? Okay, verse 9. For if the ministry of condemnation has had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Okay, so if the law serves you condemnation, Paul says the good news, the new covenant, serves you righteousness. Awesome. Verse 10. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. Now, this is awesome. Paul is saying that, yeah, that was glorious. You know, God came down on Mount Sinai and spoke to uh, Moses directly and wrote with his own finger the laws on stone. It was so glorious that Moses' face began to shine and, 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 and the people saw his face shining. Paul says, that's, that's, that was nice. That was awesome. But it compared, he says, compared to the new covenant and what Jesus did, it is like it has no glory at all. Now, those are fighting words. The Jewish people, I mean, that was their... That was their heritage. The only nation God spoke to audibly from the skies. The only nation on the, on the planet where the God of creation descended on Sinai and they saw him as fire on top of the mountain. And Moses walks up into the fire. This is so cool too. It says that the, the Israelis at the bottom of the mountain, they saw the God of Israel as a consuming fire. But Moses saw him as a refreshing mist. See, Moses walked right into what they thought he was walking into fire from below the mountain. Oh, my God, he's walking right into the fire. Moses up there, it's just this beautiful cloud, this mist, and he walked right into it. Isn't that awesome? Okay. Um, for, for if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Be bold, saints. Be bold. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Don't be ashamed to tell people that it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about how good I am. It's about how good the Christ is and what he did. That he took all our sin upon himself that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Be bold and and tell people that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. It's awesome. Don't let anybody silence you. Verse 13. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face... So that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. Now this is what we're getting at right here. Verse 14. For until this very day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. Is that awesome? There is a veil that remains to this very day. In the reading of the Old Testament, if you don't see the revelation of Christ, if you see it, the veil is removed and you can reinterpret the law according to Christ. And it's life and not death. It's not letter that kills. It's the spirit that gives life. Isn't that awesome? I just love this. Okay. But even verse, verse, oh, this is so cool. Verse 15. 
But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. See, in the reading of Moses, you reinforce by the very words, if you don't reinterpret the words according to Christ, by the very words of the Old Testament, you reinforce, if you do, you are blessed. If you don't do, you are cursed. It is the very words themselves that, that keeps the veil up, see? It's in the reading of it. In the synagogue, they would read the writings of Moses, and it continued to reinforce the veil. Because they stumbled over the stumbling stone, which is Christ, the gift of righteousness. And so as they heard these words being read, and in churches across the country, across this world, there are people that are reading the words of Moses without interpreting them according to Christ, and they're reinforcing the veil, the veil, the veil, and they're blind to the simplicity of Christ. And that's, that's what we're trying to, to get rid of. We're trying to see how to read, how to take the scriptures and say, as Jesus took the scriptures and opened their understanding and began with Moses and the prophets and the Psalms and revealed himself in, their, in scriptures on that road to Emmaus and those disciples, their hearts burned within them. Burned in a good way, like, oh my God, I feel the love of God. I feel this is awesome. I see, I've never seen this before in the scriptures, see? That's what we can do to help people see. It's so cool. Verse 16, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. We have a promise that if we will turn to him and say, Lord, show me, reveal the Christ, reveal this secret that's hidden, that was hidden from even the angels. Peter said that the prophets, oh, I love this. And Peter, Peter says, um, the prophets prophesied of the coming of the Christ, not knowing when or what manner of person, what person it was going to be, and prophesied of the grace that would come to you and I, knowing this, that what they were saying was not for them, but for you. Isn't that awesome? Things that angels long to look into is how Peter ends that chapter. Things that angels long to look into. God hid the revelation of his son and the way of grace even from the angels. That's why Lucifer did not know the hidden mystery. He did not know of this work. The scripture says, had he understood, had the, had the ruler of this world understood the mystery of Christ, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See? Hidden from the angels. That's why the angels were used to minister the old covenant, because angels only understand good and evil and judgment. They don't understand grace. God did not save angels, Hebrews says, but the sons of Abraham, the believer, he did not save angels. They have no idea what grace is. You know, they, they don't comprehend grace. Angels are warriors. Angels are messengers of good and evil and truth and judgment. Angels have no idea. They long to look into what God has given these weak men. These men that, that, that God now calls the son, his sons and daughters. Angels long to look into what you have. Know you not, you shall judge angels, Paul said. Isn't that awesome? This is so cool. This is like, oh God. Okay. Verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, this is so cool. What Paul is saying here is that when you get the revelation of Christ, we see Christ and we see him in the scripture. Remember how Peter said last Sunday, we said that the scripture is like a lamp that shines in a dark place. He says, take heed to that lamp, take heed to the revelation in Scripture until it becomes 
a morning, the morning star rising in your heart. Revelation comes. And what he's saying here is that the way it works, this is, this is a heavenly dynamic that, that needs to be understood in the church. The heavenly, heavenly dynamic is to behold him, to allow the power of the spirit that is within to renew the mind so that as you are seeing him, you are manifesting him. In other words, Paul is saying here that when you look at the glory of God in the face of Christ, you are seeing a reflection of yourself as in a mirror. Did you get that? Okay, this is so awesome. When you look now, because you're in him and he's in you, Paul says, when you now look at the glory of God in the face of Christ, when you are meditating on him, you're looking at him, you're worshiping him, you're seeing him in the scripture. When you are seeing Jesus, you, Paul says, you are seeing as, in a, as if in a mirror, a reflection of your own face. Hard to believe, is it? First John says, as Jesus is, so are we. A new creation. That's powerful. It's so opposite what we've heard. We've heard that, you know, the Bible is, you know, you, you read the Bible and the Bible reveal, you know, shows you the dirt on your face so you can wipe the dirt off your face. No. That's exactly the veil. That is, that is a, that's evidence of the veil that remains over the mind. When you look in the scriptures, the revelation of Christ doesn't show you dirt. It shows you Christ. And even more wonderful, it shows you as Christ, as just like Christ. Isn't that awesome? Oh, God, this is so good. Because see, what happened, because what happened, the whole thing about Moses and the, and the veil, what happened was Moses would go up and, you know, talk to the Lord and his face, the skin of his face would shine. It's, it's in the Old Testament. You can read about this awesome, this thing that happened. God allowed it to happen to teach us. Paul found it. And, and opened the, the meaning of this in his letter. But what happened, he would, he would t- come out and talk to the people, right? He would let the people see his face shining. And that was like his, his authority. They thought, okay, yeah, okay, he heard from God. We'll listen to him now because his face is shining. And so, and then he put a veil over his face. Why? Paul tells us why. Because it was fading. He didn't want to be talking to the people and all of a sudden, as he's talking, the Lord, wants, the Lord says this, and the Lord says that, and his face begins to shine. Oh, hey, he's not shining anymore. Maybe the Lord didn't say that. That's why he did it. Isn't that cool? He put a veil so the children of Israel could not see the fading of his face. Paul says that is exactly what, the, that's a picture of the veil that remains over those who don't see Christ in the Old Testament. They don't know that behind the veil, Moses' face is not shining. It has faded away. It's gone. The glory is not in the law, is what he's saying. It's not in the law. You see that? So Paul says, we're not like Moses who put a veil because his face was fading, but we with unveiled face, because this is permanent, this is eternal, with unveiled face, we proclaim Christ, our righteousness, and Christ, our life, a ministry of, of righteousness, and not of condemnation, with boldness of speech, Moses says, 
Because this is not fading, and, and it's not on the skin only. See, that Moses was on the skin. This is from within, going out. This is, this is the love of God. This is a new heart, the new creation, the renewal of the mind. This is permanent. This is God's work, and it's complete. Like Clark says, when God does something, he does it completely. Isn't that awesome? And that's what this is all talking about. But I just, I just want to talk about, I want to read those verses today because we've got to help people see the Old Testament in light of Christ. And, and help him see by revelation that, that he has truly fulfilled all things. And if we don't, if we don't help him see, they'll always be schizophrenic in their, in their reading of the scripture. You know, they will. They'll be schizophrenic. At one minute, you know, they're, they're righteous. The next minute, they're having to get cleansed of their sins over and over again. One minute, they're holy. Next minute, I'm not quite there yet. One minute, you know, this. One minute, God loves me. Next minute, God's mad at me. And it's just not life. And it's not the truth. The truth shall set you free, the scripture says. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And the truth will make us free. The problem with us, I mean the humanity, is that it just seems too good to be true. We say the old wine is better. That's what Jesus said. The old wine is better. And he's brought us new wine. Yes, yeah, sure. No, absolutely not. Ever, 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 ever. And the reason why, we said this, I think, last Sunday. Because he has no expectations in us. If we fail, he'll just say, told you so. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If we succeed, he goes, I told you so. The life of God is in you, the life of Christ. He cannot fail. (laughs) So, you know, it's like, that's why he was never alarmed when the disciples were sinning all around him and messing up. And Peter says, oh, God, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Never disturbed by that. Peter, don't be afraid. Come to me. Don't be afraid. Come to me. It's not a, it's a, that's a great question because God is never disappointed because to have disappointment, you must have expectation. To have expectation in the flesh, God does not have. For we have no confidence in the flesh, but in the spirit. And God has every, ever, every confidence in, his, in the life of his son that is within you. Awesome. Let's close in prayer and just, I just want to just thank God for helping us see. Lord, thank you for the opening of our eyes, the removal of the veil, that we might see Christ. Lord Jesus, help us to receive this truth that as we look at you, wonder of wonders, we're looking at an image of ourselves because we're new in you. Behold, I make all things new. When the Son of Man returns, shall he find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man returns, shall he find faith? Shall he find someone who believed? We believe. We believe and we rest. Lord, we trust in this mysterious dynamic, a dynamic that is heavenly and not of man. We trust in this working within us, for God is at work in us, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. We trust in this, this adventure. And when we say surrender to you, we say, open the sails wide. We lift our sails and we open our sails wide to receive the wind. It's not a surrender like a legalistic surrender. Oh, I give up. 
or I guess so, I guess you can take control of my life, I give up. No, it's, a, it's a, an adventure opening our sails to receive the life. Receive the life. Thank you, Lord, for helping us see your way. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are your ways different from the ways of men. Thank you, Lord, for the new and living way. In Jesus' name we pray and we thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray that you'd be with Clark as he ministers in Omaha, Nebraska, in his prophecy presbytery up there. I pray that you would give him mighty, a mighty unction and clarity of thought through the Holy Spirit. I pray that Clark would move with grace and power I pray that he preach a little grace while he's up there and start a fire in Nebraska. (laughs) And I pray that Bill Snell will be blessed this morning as he brings the scriptures, the word to us. I pray that Bill will speak with freedom and speak all that is in his heart as we encourage our brother Bill to, to just be who he is and bless us. And be with Abby as we worship together. Let us always worship as one who is in the heavens. Thank you for Abby. Thank you for the worship team. We worship as those who are in heaven speaking to the earth, not as those on earth trying to get to heaven. Thank you, Lord, for the reality of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.